Have you ever wondered how deep tech companies actually start? Well, we were too. So in this podcast, we'll be interviewing scientists and entrepreneurs that have taken their ideas out of the lab and turned them into startups. I'm Antonia. And I'm Christina. And this is Startup the Science. Hi, everyone. And welcome back to another expert episode of Startup the Science. Today, we have Carlos Lee. He's the Director General of EPIC, the European Photonics Industry Consortium. EPIC is a membership-led, not-for-profit industry association that promotes the sustainable development of organizations working in the field of photonics. Their members cover the entire value chain from LEDs, photovoltaics, laser sensors, imaging displays, projectors, optic fibers, and anything else you can think of in the photonics world. For us at Enum, we look to Epic as sort of what we want to be when we grow up, and I think we're on our way there. Uh, but Epic's been around for much longer than we have. However, the basics are the same. We want to bring people together to promote the development of a certain industry or industries, and we want to facilitate technological and commercial advancements. Uh, if you're a startup listening to this episode, thank you. I'm glad you've tuned in because Carlos has a lot of great advice that he shares in this episode. So with that being said, here's our epic conversation <laughs> with Carlos Lee of Epic. Hi, Carlos, and welcome to Startup the Science. It's great to have you here with us today. Let's start off with a quick introduction. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? Sure, and thank you very much again for the invitation. My name is Carlos Lee. I'm the Director General of EPIC. EPIC stands for European Photonics Industry Consortium. It's a not-for-profit uh, association focused specifically on photonics. Uh, I live in Belgium. Uh, my father is from Singapore. My mother is from Belgium. I'm born in Spain, but you know, uh, since the age of five, I live here in Brussels. Uh, I studied business. I have a Bachelor's of Business Administration and a, and a Master's and MBA. I've got uh, three kids and... Um, yeah, that's, that's about me. <laughs> that's lovely. And can you tell us a little bit about your work experience? Where did you work before your current role? So my studies of business was a process of elimination. I was a little bit wild, let's put it that way, when I was 18 years, you know. And so I had to pick a university. I said, I'm not going to do this, not going to do this, not going to do this. So basically, well, I ended up studying business in a private school, you know, where I would be forced to go to school. You know, you put me in a big university of 200 students, I would never have shown up. Uh, so it was a private school in English, you know, so the good advantage, although it was in Brussels, it was an international business school. So I, that's where I learned English, uh, most of it and, and, and studied and everything was in English. And after that, uh, I had to choose a, a specialization, which was in finance. So being based in Brussels, I think, oh, finance, well, I'll just go and, and work in Luxembourg in the banking sector, become filthy rich and it will be a wonderful life. And that was the plan. So, you know, you graduate in June and then you apply for banks, July, August. But very common in Belgium is to do student jobs. And it doesn't really matter what kind of student jobs. You know, it's well paid, you know, no tax and you just do whatever it is. So I ended up at SEMI uh, for two weeks to update the database. My wife at the time was working for an, uh, a recruitment agency and uh, she told her colleague, hey, why don't you hire Carlos? He could do that. He speaks English. So I went there two weeks, I just updated the database, and then I replaced the secretary for uh, six weeks who was going on holiday. The semi-organized an exhibition, so I stayed for another six months, and I ended up being there for about 16 years. 
So that's about life. You know, you have a plan, you want to do something, and then you end up, well, whatever life takes you. So you've got to be flexible and agile. But the interesting part was that I never heard even of the concept of an industry association. You know, these companies, they pay a membership fee. We're not for profit. We exist to serve a sector. And that concept was was new to me. Obviously, after 16 years, I had uh, about eight different uh, positions, management positions. I learned a lot. And uh, then the opportunity came to, uh, to go and, and move at Epic. So this is actually only my second company. So many, many jobs, but only my second company. So let's talk a bit about uh, this, this change you made and why you decided to transition to Epic. I mean, your entire journey is obviously very interesting. And there are lots of bits from what you said that we could uh, talk more about. But I'm interested to know why you decided to transition from from your previous role, from a previous organization to Epic? So I didn't change because I wasn't happy. I think, uh, you know, the, the company is going well, the colleagues are nice, but I saw the opportunity to bring the experience of the electronics industry, a mature industry, into the emerging sector of photonics. So the semiconductor industry, and semi, by the way, this year is turning 50 years old, uh, they are quite kind of well-established, you know, the semiconductor companies. They've got their shows, Semicon West, they've got standards, semi-standards, they've got technology roadmaps, the ITRS, the International Technology Roadmap for Semiconductors. They've got market data, they've got investor relations. So it's kind of, um, it's, it's kind of done. You know, I kind of felt like, listen, I'm not sure of what my contribution is at Semi because this industry is kind of, it's, it's kind of all running, you know. On the other hand, photonics, is uh, technology-wise, you could argue if it's about the same technology. If you take a phone, the display is emitting light. That's photonics, but it's electronics as well. The camera, you know, that's capturing light. That's photonics, but, you know, it's, it's, it's an electronics device as well. So whether you take uh, the Vixels that do the face recognition, the LED flash lamp, the optics for the camera, so you could really argue whether many of these things are electronics or photonics, you know? So it probably depends on what you have studied in your background, and it probably doesn't really matter. But 80% of the technologies in electronics and photonics are about the same or there is a relevancy, a connection. So I thought I could use my experience of a little bit on the technology side that I had learned about or along the years and to bring this to the emerging sector uh, of photonics. And can you tell me a bit more about the story of Epic? So when you joined, where were they at and what is going on now and what was that the journey like? So Epic was created 16 years ago by Thomas Pearsall. He's an, Ameri an American who was working at Corning based in Paris at the time. So it is a bit ironic that Epic, which is a European organization, was created by an American. Uh, and coincidentally, at the same time, the U.S. counterpart, OIDA, the Optoelectronics Industry Development Association in the USA, was run by an Englishman, Michael Levy. Uh, so it's a global world. So SEMI was created uh, after the telecom bust. Uh, Tom Pearsall saw that this industry collapsed. So many people lose their jobs. Companies were going bankrupt. And he says, like, there's no home for this community. Let's call it this way. So really, you have to imagine, you take cities where you have photonics companies. They close, the people lose their job. And then what's next? Where do these people meet again? What is their home? And so he created Epic in that sense, to give recognition to this industry, which he named photonics you know it's not optics it's not uh, lasers it's photonics so it's extremely broad because we cover solar we cover uh, led smart lighting we cover lasers lasers for medical military industrial application optical fibers subsea fibers so we cover all the broad range of photonics and the first activity that he did was to create to go to the european commission in brussels and tell them photonics is important you should support this industry then was created the Photonics Unit, the Photonics 21 technology platform, and he 
continued EPIC as a, as a membership-funded association, uh, independent of, of subsidies, to serve the interest of the industry. So basically, we organize a lot of technology meetings, matchmaking, connecting companies with end users, with integrators, understanding technologies, markets, applications, help them explore other regions. We organize activities in China, in USA, in Singapore, in Canada, uh, always European-oriented, but we're not political or politically driven. It's just that we're European-oriented. That's amazing. And um, we've we've known about Epic for a while, also because we work with startups in photonics, and photonics um, has a huge overlap with advanced materials, which would be our, our area of focus. And perhaps for, for our listeners who might not be so familiar with the field of photonics, you've already mentioned quite a bit about it and how it uh, spans across a wide range of technologies. But can you tell us a little bit more about what photonics is and what kind of um, applications does it does it entail? So I hope I will not be insulting scientists, but you know, as I said, I've got a business degree, so I talk in very simple terms. But basically, photonics is anything that creates light, you know, like an LED lighting, that captures light, like a camera, that modifies light, like a lens, or who detects light, uh, detects light like an infrared uh, detector or something like that. So that's the broad range of photonics. It is extremely pervasive in the sense that you find it everywhere. You know, I actually have a presentation when I go to schools, which is photonics is everywhere and, and addresses any societal challenge. So whether you're going to take uh, agriculture, you know, to see if uh, the, the fruits are ripe, whether you look at medical for oncology, whether you look at uh, security and defense for laser military missile tracking systems, if you look at uh, telecom, datacom for communication uh, for the fibers, you know, companies like Google, Facebook, uh, they have uh, fibers in their, in their data centers. So you find it in almost every field. And sometimes I do this, you know, when I make presentations uh, with, with, uh, in the schools, I tell them, Tell me any object, you know, it's a, your trousers, your jeans. Well, you know, we don't stonewash them anymore where you really physically put stones into the jeans to do this little white kind of color. Uh, they really use, you can use lasers now to do that stonewash. Um, so anything that they will show me in the classroom, uh, you know, whether it's a wood bench, if you show me wood, you know, they use photonics technologies. So there's a big uh, activity in Finland about all what is photonics for, for wood industry. So basically any, anything that you would show me, a tattoo, well, you know, you can remove the tattoo now with a laser. Uh, you have the teacher who doesn't have eyeglasses anymore. Well, you know, that cataract was probably removed with a femtosecond laser. So photonics is absolutely everywhere. And another word that I often use is enabling. So photonics as itself is not, it's not just like a product. It's just that it enables other things to be often smarter. So if you will take a car, uh, if you put a LIDAR system, it will help in autonomous driving. So you enable something else. Uh, if you take the new lighting systems, it, en it enables that uh, you do not blind the other people driving in the other direction. So the lighting is more uh, dynamic and active than just a passive. So um, other aspects of, of enabling all the factories, you know, all of the machines and factories. Uh, are, are using uh, vision systems, uh, smart systems, which are based uh, on, on that. That's very interesting, especially because I think if, if you're not very familiar with the field of photonics, the first things that come to mind for me is anything light related. So maybe I would think about displays, screens, but I'm not sure if I would go you know, the, the extra mile and think about all the applications you mentioned. So that's very, very interesting. Um, so as you said, photonics are everywhere. We can find applications pretty much anywhere we, we look. Uh, I guess we could say the same about electronics, um, that we also find them everywhere and more and more 
things that didn't used to be smart, they're now smart. So what overlap do you see between these ecosystems, the photonics and electronics, and what are the main differences? So technology-wise, there's a huge overlap. 80% is really uh, is about the same. And as a, it doesn't really matter if it's electronics or things. There's a lot of similarities. But the huge, huge difference is indeed in this ecosystem. The electronics industry, which exists for 50 years, it's usually big players. They're well-established. The value chains are well-established. The manufacturing processes are well-established. So uh, less companies, big companies. In photonics, it's the opposite. Uh, the amount of startups is, is huge. In Europe alone, you probably have 2,000 companies, well, 5,000 if you include also the users and the universities and the research. But if you just take the companies that really develop processes, uh, the components and systems, you probably have 2,000 companies. But 86% are small companies, 20 to 50 employees. And that is a big difference. It's many small young companies. So in that sense, the ecosystem is very different. Um, the industry is not as mature, meaning that there are not as many standards, uh, technology roadmaps. And you can also see that it's uh, uh, an emerging sector because you've got at least 100, I track, I just track at least 100 acquisitions per year. So every year there are 100 companies in photonics which are being acquired by another company. So it's very, very dynamic. And that for me is a reflection of uh, the emerging side of the photonics industry. All right. So if we were to zoom in a bit on the European landscape, since that's where most of our startups come from as well, and that's where... Um, Epic is most active too. Can you tell us a bit about the opportunities and challenges that you see startups in photonics in Europe um, facing? Especially because, as you mentioned, most of the organizations in photonics in Europe are startups or SMEs. What does that European landscape look like? The European landscape in photonics is fantastic. It's fabulous. It's exciting um, because you have so many companies, young companies, innovative companies, uh, they are trying new things. They are leveraging all the knowledge that they got from the universities. I recently interviewed uh, 45 of our CEO members of small companies and 43 had a PhD. A lot of these companies originate indeed from the universities. So it's a very technology-driven uh, industry. The chance that we have also in photonics is that for almost all applications, we have the entire value chain. So forget the telecom datacom. As I said, we don't have Google, Facebook, uh, this kind of Cisco kind of companies. But whether you take automotive uh, with uh, the German car makers, whether you take aeronautics with Airbus, uh, whether you take agriculture, all of these uh, end user applications, you know, medical with Philips and Siemens, we have entire value chains from this end user, this integrator of this technology to the big system integrator, the component supplier, the equipment and the materials. So we've got entire value chains in also markets which are um, not only uh, have money, if I can say, you know, medical field is, is, is a field where they can find money, the space, uh, also aeronautics as well. So these are fields that, that, that have money to invest into this industry but also that address our societal challenges. Um, so when I go to the schools, apparently you don't ask children anymore, what do you want to do when you grow up? You ask them, what kind of challenges do you want to tackle? And whether he's talking about uh, food and agriculture or whether he's talking about the quality of the air, uh, no matter what they say, most of the time I will find a connection with photonics. You know, you can use photonics for environmental monitoring if you care about the quality of the air. And if you care about energy, well, you have either solar panels or the fibers that you put on the blades of windmills to control the speed uh, of, of, of the wind. So it's it's in all, uh, all fields, but also that tackle our societal uh, challenges. So the, the ecosystem is, is, is very lively, very dynamic, and also encompasses not only companies and universities, but also uh, governments. So the governments, the European Commission, 
invest into photonics. There is a photonics unit with photonics calls. They give money for research at European level. The European Investment Bank has published a report on the photonics industry. We don't have so many investors yet, but I'm working on a report to engage also the, cam- the, photonic- the, the capital market. We need to, to make sure that there is a photonics capital market for the companies. Um, but all in all, I have not found a single thing that we could not tackle that would jeopardize fundamentally, systematically, systemically, the photonics industry in the long term. I think we'll have to look at the global landscape and see how we develop relationships, partner, collaborate with uh, other parts of the world, other companies in part of the world. But I think we have a really good chance to lead this industry. And this is also one of my personal motivators in this job is that I have seen industries by and large move from Europe. If you take semiconductor, we have a couple of maybe two big companies that do semiconductor chips, but the LED industry has mainly moved, the solar industry has moved, the robotics industry, I'm not quite sure, but photonics, I really see a chance for Europe to lead in many of the photonics applications and markets at a worldwide level. So that's good news for European startups and photonics. So they have pretty much everything they need here in Europe to succeed. But if they are open to opportunities outside of Europe, um, what what would these be in your opinion? What would a startup that is very willing to cooperate with any organization, investor, company worldwide, where would they have the biggest opportunities? Most of the time, they start in their local market. There is a reality that it's just easier to to go and visit people who are in your neighborhood, in your country, to go to a local exhibition, especially in the beginning. You lack resources, people, money. So that is how very often it starts. But it's important, I think, to have already at the beginning a global mindset. I don't like the airline, but I love their slogan, it's One World. That's their frequent flyer program of British Airways, One World. And if you look at the world with no borders, you know, if you have to hire people, you know, if you have to open an R&D center, an assembly center, um, sourcing components, just look at the whole world where you could find that. Flying is, is easy today, finding you know, it's easy to go around the world, but we need to have that mindset. So I think that we we need we need to to exploit all of these opportunities and and find partners, clients, customers all over the world. Uh, some regions are harder to access. You know, if you take English-speaking countries like the U.S., it's probably easier. Uh, sometimes you have cultural differences. Some countries have different ways of doing business, but you know, there are so many courses you can learn about that. And some countries, I find they have a big market, uh, maybe some competition, um, but we should address them. Um, Personally, I've been learning Chinese now for three years, and I think it's going to take me another five years. It's it's probably my longest term project ever to learn Chinese, but I believe that working with China will be important, whether to buy, to sell, to collaborate. And I don't know what kind of partnerships, but I think that such a big country, there has to be some kind of collaboration in one way or another. Uh, So Asia, whether it's established countries which are technology engaged for many years, like Taiwan, Japan, or Korea, uh, already established. But you know, looking at the Asian market, um, emerging markets like maybe India, Africa, Brazil, Russia, you know, not so much is going on there. So I wouldn't recommend that for startups. Um, but just generally, generally speaking, keep an open mind at the world. So have a global mindset, perhaps consider learning Chinese and just stay open to, to all opportunities. Let's talk a bit about money because this is one of the main concerns the startups have, as we know, and also one of the main challenges. As you mentioned, many of the founders of photonic startups, just like what we see in the broader field of advanced materials, are scientists. They come from a university, 
background and they um, spin off and, and start a company. And then at some point along the way, usually quite fast, they're, um, they find this main challenge, which is they need to get funding and then they need to get investment for their startup. One of the problems is that it doesn't necessarily come naturally to them because they're not business oriented as much as as others, perhaps. Um, but the other challenge might be that it's simply harder to get funding for, for startups in this field. What is your experience with that? And if you talk to startups in the field, what do you advise them when it comes to investment and funding? If the founder of the company has a very strong technological, scientific, academic background, I recommend that he finds a strong, loyal, good partner, friend, uh, somebody to work with who is a sales and marketing person. Over and over again, it has been proven that it's not the best technology that wins, that having a good technology, a good product is not enough. So I think that finding that partner who has that mindset of the of sales, you know, um, and there's nothing wrong with, with making money. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's good. You want your product on the market, uh, find a good partner for that. In terms of raising money specifically, when I talk to all of our members, very often I ask them, so, you know, how much money did you raise? When, for what purpose? Uh, you know, what kind of investors did you look for? But very often it comes through the network. And very often they don't have a strong network. Uh, they usually remain in an academic environment network or very local network. Uh, but you can achieve a lot if you know if you know people. Uh, Epic is all about networking ourselves. We have an extremely large network of, of thousands of people. Um, at our meetings, we make sure that they meet. Probably you probably meet fifty people in, in one of our two days events, and these people know other people. Uh, not only technology people, suppliers or customers, but they will also know some people who, who who are from the investment world because a lot of these companies have raised money at some point. They probably raised with some money and failed, but they still know these investors. So on the one hand, you can tap into their network. You know, if if they, if you ask them how, who, if they know anybody who, who, who could help you out and also the lessons learned from that, you know, so how did you finally find the money? What, tips and tricks do you have for me? What I like to tell to young entrepreneurs uh, is that if you don't have much money, time, experience, the one thing that I recommend you do is invite somebody for lunch. Contact somebody who's been through this experience before, who has created a company, who, who ran it, who had all the challenges and all of that. And he, if he's from Photonics and he's been that, he will appreciate what you're trying to do. And I give it a 95% chance that if you invite him for lunch for a sandwich, you know, for half an hour, he will accept it. <laughs> That's a great bit of advice there. And during Corona times, you can also do it via virtual lunch. Everyone can, can have a sandwich in front of their cameras. And that's a very easy thing to set up. Uh, thank you so much for your time today. To, to wrap it up, I wanted to ask if you have any other comments, requests, anything else you'd like to, to say to our listeners. Well, photonics is fantastic. It's a technology for the future. So if you've studied photonics, if you understand photonics, you're in there for, for the long term. You've got the, you chose a, a winning field, uh, whether it is on the technology side that you're excited or on the business side or in a tackling societal challenges, photonics is, is great. And I encourage you to, to be open-minded and to, and to get to know people from, from this community. Whenever you have a chance to just go to an exhibition, go to a conference, uh, meet people and, and learn from them. You don't need to learn. You don't have to start everything from scratch. You don't have to redo all the mistakes. People have done it before. I would encourage you to build a strong network to engage with associations. There are 40 clusters in photonics across Europe. 
that's a unique opportunity. Not every region in the world has this. Uh, and these associations very often organize local events, uh, become a member, engage and learn. And good luck. Thank you very much. And we'll make sure to put uh, the link of Epic in our description as well so people can, can get in touch if they'd like to know more. Thank you and have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to Startup the Science. If you like our show and want to know more about what we do, check out our website at enam.berlin. And don't forget to leave us a review. Until next time.